At the beginning of each podcast episode, hosts will typically read an ad for another company, but we're going to take this opportunity to promote and plug what we're building. We are building an AI-powered app that's going to be your personal mindset coach. Think about it as if you had a therapist in your pocket, one that will help you get to know who you really are, process your emotions, and make sense of your thoughts. The app launch waitlist is back live and it's on our website. For convenience, we also left the link in the show notes. It's very simple. All you got to do is put your name and email address and you're signed up for the waitlist. So you'll be the first to know when we launch and also you'll be the first to be able to actually test it. For now, here's a clip from this week's episode. I think interning at Latina Magazine is when my light bulb went on because I was like, I can be myself because I, I was code switching. Like, even though I was, you know, writing, you know, the stories and, you know, I had my mission, I was still cold switching. Why, why were you cold switching? Because I was taught that professionalism is whiteness, right? Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quintuera's podcast brought to you by Plural. Now, you already know, it's your boy Pavel bringing you another very special episode with another very special guest. Now, the clip in the intro that you heard is with this week's guest, Joanna. Before getting into the full conversation, although you already got a sneak peek, let me give you a quick bio on who Joe is before we get into the full conversation. Now, Joanna Ferreira is a Dominican-American journalist, writer, and storyteller. With over 10 years of media experience, Joanna has worked at numerous media outlets and has contributed to renowned digital publications, including Refinery29, Oprah Magazine, Allure, InStyle, Well and Good, Travel and Leisure, and many more. All focused on storytelling that champions the Latine culture and intersectional identities. These days, she works as a content director for Pop Sugar's Latin A destination, Puntos, formerly known as Pop Sugar Latina. No matter where she's at, what she's doing, her mission is to inspire and make underrepresented communities feel seen and valued through storytelling. Well, now that you know a little bit more about this week's guest, let's get into this dope conversation. All right, so the buzzword, authenticity, you probably hear all the time but when you hear the word, what does it mean to you? I feel like for me, being authentic means being my true self at all times and in all spaces. Whether I'm with my friends, whether I'm with my family, whether I'm in the workspace, I'm the same, you get the same version of Joe every time. That's okay. when I know I'm being like my most authentic self. So your most authentic self, Joe, like how would you how would you describe her? Like, what are some words that come to mind? I mean, I feel like you've already gotten a little taste of it. Like, I feel like I'm kind of a silly person. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm a very honest person. I wouldn't say I'm an overshare, but, like, I think I'm comfortable sharing things that, like, most people wouldn't. Okay. And, like, it's not that I do that on purpose. That's, like, naturally, like, how I am, like, how I'm wired but I have noticed that the more I just embrace that part of myself rather than feeling ashamed of it or, you know, concealing it, I find my people. Mm. Like I find my tribe when I, when I just embrace that aspect of myself. Do you think growing up you were allowed to be that person no. yourself? No, no. <laughs> I didn't even finish yeah. you were like, no, no, no. Not at all, Why not, not at tell all. Me, tell me more. So I grew up, I, I had an interesting upbringing, which sometimes is kind of hard to explain to Dominicans because I feel like a lot of Dominicans that I know of my age range and my generation, their parents typically came during the, the uh, Dominican Republic, New York migration, mm -hmm. early 90s, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially if, if they're from the Heights or the Bronx or Uptown. Yeah. My, there were numerous waves since Trujillo, my parents came in the early 70s. Like my dad, I think, actually came in 1970 and my mom came in 1972 and they went to Corona, Queens, right? Which is, you know, used to be mostly Dominican. It was like Dominican and Italian. Now it's like, there's patches of Dominican, but now I think it's like mostly like Mexican, Central American. Yeah, a lot more Central South America. Like, I don't think the Dominican one, I think of Corona. 
because it's barely, but you still, there's still patches of it. You'll still find them, I but mean, but not really. We're everywhere. Yeah. We're everywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> we're everywhere. Yeah. But that's where my parents grew up. They came here in junior high school. So be, but then they went back. They went back to DR for college. They lived there in their early 20s. So I had an interesting upbringing where in many ways we were raised Dominican. Mm -hmm. Like my parents, if you sat my parents down with your parents, they're probably very similar. If you heard my parents speak in Spanish, you would think they just got here. But then you hear them speak English, they sound just like me. You know, my parents are college educated. So I think there was a lot of, I think because they were raised in both cultures like American and Dominican I think a lot of what they were trying to do was preserve the not so much just the culture but the the values of being Dominican and then with then on top of that my parents are religious you know I grew up Christian my dad's side of the family is Catholic to me it's the same (laughs) so a lot of those values impacted the way that we were raised Mm, and a lot of it was like, you're a girl and you talk a lot. I was just going to yeah. ask you, like, because our family, our family's expectations for us have such an impact on our early authenticity, right? So for you, a, a Latina, um, you know, Dominican specific, also in a religious household, there's so many expectations. Like, what expectations do you think, like, your family had for you? I think the initial expectations were like, you know, definitely everybody's going to college. My dad's a dentist. He went to NYU. So the standards were, like, pretty high from the jump. Yeah. So it was like, okay, everybody, everybody's going to college. Everybody's going to be a professional. You know, you're getting married. You're going to have a family. And then the religious part was like, you're not having sex till you meet your partner. Right. Like, that um, conversation was had. Oh, yeah, that conversation, like, I feel like I was always hearing at least my grandma saying things like, you got to be a senorita, senorita, to the point where, like, for a long time I resented that term because I associated senorita with, like, virgin, because that's how my grandma used to use the term. Uh, I, I mean, we won't name the episode senorita. I, please don't. <laughs> please don't. So it was like a lot of, I felt a lot of pressure to be perfect. I'm also the eldest daughter. There's three of us. I'm the oldest. I felt a lot of pressure to be perfect, but I also felt a lot of pressure to be a certain kind of girl. Cause it was like, I'm the the most talkative in the family, (laughs) period. Like men, women, to the point where I actually believe it cause I'm seeing it a little bit with my niece who's a little over a year. My mom said I started talking in full sentences before I hit a year. Really? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't talk to like two years old. Like, I yeah, was my like brother was like yet. that, but my brother was very mobile, so like right. very physical. So I was like singing commercials. I think it's because I grew up in a very social environment because like my grandparents lived with us and their friends would come over. So I was like around people. Yeah. So there was a part of me, like looking back, and I've, I've seen it a lot when I do a lot of inner child work. I was an extrovert. Like as a kid, I was a freaking extrovert. I was a people person. I was energized by people. I've always been silly. I was like a total jokester. Like I think my cousins thought I was crazy. I was like totally like the family clown. And then my brother became the family clown. Did, what, what sort of feedback, like did you get that early on? It as was far as, so- like, it You're w- always joking. You, I was told I was too hyper, which now makes so much sense because I think I'm like undiagnosed ADHD. I was told I was too hyper. I was too talkative. I spoke too fast. Nobody can like figure out what I was saying. Like what? And I had way, I was told I had way too many opinions for a little girl. I was like questioning my Dominican machismo like in elementary. And it started with like my grandparents, my grandfathers. I was like, what's up with this? You know? And I just remember hearing a lot of comp. I always was a lot closer to like the matriarchs in the family, the women in the family, with the exception of my dad. Because my dad, I feel like my dad, you know, it took him a while Mm -hmm. to understand me. But I feel like by the time I was like an adult, he embraced it whereas with the other men in the family I think everybody thought I was like a problem like I was difficult you know I remember I had an uncle you know may he he rest in peace because I love him and he was still my favorite uncle but I remember it really hurt me one time that he told me he was like 
you're not a bad kid, but you're not a good kid either. And I was like, What's like, I do good in school. Right, like, right. I never did drugs. Like, you know, I, I've never been a big drinker. I don't drink now for health right. reasons. Like, I was like, I wasn't sleeping around. Like, I was, I was like, not a bad kid at all. It was I just, just, it was just your personality. I just had a lot of opinions, and I used to call it out all the time. I would call out colorism. I was just about to say, like, yeah. what sort of opinions did you have? I think a lot of it had to do with the gender roles okay. and and like the domesticated roles and the expectations that Dominican culture has of women and little girls. Yeah. I, I never liked it. Tell I never about, like, liked it. Of, tell me about the, <clears throat> the gender role that you're referencing, like culture. I mean, I know what you're talking about, but people are listening. Maybe. So I feel like it was like the whole like Tayaita, Mabonita, yeah, like talk less, give less opinions, be obedient. Oh, I, I did not f- with obedience. I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like to me, obedience was like, I, even as a kid, I really struggled with it because my whole thing has, and it's been part of my brand too. And the stories I tell is like justice and fairness. Mm-hmm. I'm very big on fairness. And for you to tell me that I can't do something or I shouldn't behave a certain way because I'm a girl, but then the boys in the family, including my little brother who's six years younger, is allowed to do that because he's a boy and then constantly being shamed. Like, oh, you know, I remember there was another uncle that told me, because I always loved hoop earrings, which is like, now when I wear it, this is a freaking act of resistance, it's man. It's yeah. a statement for me yeah. because it was like, your dad lets you wear those earrings. La muchachas de la calle wear earrings like that. Like, putas mm-hmm. wear earrings like that. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, that don't even make sense. Like, it was a lot of that. And the religion was used to excuse it. So I feel like I felt constantly shamed, like constantly shamed just for being who I was. And I I think before I started going to school, even though I was already experiencing the shame of it. Like middle school? No, before I start, before kindergarten. This was all happening before kindergarten? I I always remember this. I've been talking for a long time. And then by the time I go to kindergarten, like, because I was still being rebellious and I was like, no, this is me, whatever. By the time I went to kindergarten, then my peers broke my spirit. Because even though I was told you should be quiet, you should talk less, you should be less opinionated, all this stuff, I was still told I'm smart, I'm talented, I'm gifted, I'm pretty, right? Right, right. Then I go to school and they're like, nah, you ugly right, at a unibrow, and, like, you know, that's not accepted. <laughs> so it was, like, nobody noticed anything else about me. It was, like, the unibrow, and then they would compare me to Homegirl and Hey Arnold. It was, ter- it was hard, man. That was, like, kindergarten to, like, some point in junior high where I told my mom, I was, like, that's it. If you're not going to take me to the eyebrow place, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. And I just and I had, like, these thin-ass eyebrows. Am I allowed to see pictures? I got to find, my mom got them. Yeah. I don't got them. Yeah. I'm surprised (laughs) I didn't burn them all, to be honest, because every time they would come out, like if, you know, with my ex or like with with friends or whatever, my brother loved to bring up, I think till this day, he loves to bring up that I was ugly. So I think there's also a part of me, like, it's funny because all these things affect you professionally, right? So you have this big personality that your family tells you is not acceptable. Then you go into school and they break your spirit and they tell you you're ugly. Mm-hmm. And so now you feel like, okay, I'm ugly. So now I have to really focus on my other strengths, which is that I'm smart and I'm creative and I'm funny. Yeah. And now the teachers are telling my parents, she does, her grades are good, but we got to move her to a different table because she's talking to everybody. <laughs> so like now all these parts of my personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could see like looking back, going from kindergarten to high school, how I started to really dim myself. And that's what I was going to ask you, because I think you're at a really interesting crossroad, if you will, around most people, when they get that resistance on their authenticity, they either say and continue to rebel, which sounds like you did early on. Yeah. But then you got a little bit more resistance and then you got another crossroad. You're like, all right, do I continue to rebel or do I like try to fit it a little more and just listen to what they tell me so that I can get less of this resistance. You know what I mean? And you, it sounds like 
you, you said you started to dim your light. So in what ways did you start to change? I, I definitely started struggling with low self-esteem by junior high school. And I like by junior high school, I was definitely hanging out with like the school rejects, which to me were like, I thought they were like the coolest kids because we were all like doing great. Right. We but were like in honors. Other people call. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like early on being a nerd and a good student, like that wasn't cool. That wasn't cool. Yeah. I'm like, how was being smart not cool? It's that's really crazy. Cool yeah, yeah. It's only cool when you're older. Because <laughs> those nerds are like successful, you know, successful, <laughs> yeah. et cetera. But like early on, that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. So so there was that. So But it's weird because that's also what you need to like I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird like, it's because weird. it does build character, right? Yeah. Because I feel like that it's there's there were good things about it in the sense that like I've I've I, I had bullies, right? So I can't tolerate bullies. Like at any stage in my life, like especially in adulthood, if you're mean, if you're rude, I don't show it to you. Like when you see it to other people, like, yeah. that drives you. No, I can't, it like triggers me. I'm like, nope, I'm not messing with you. So I think it really instilled a lot of like ethics for me, but it's hard because like I, even my career, like I've been at it since day one. But the, if you ask anybody that met me earlier on in my career, I was shy. I, I was like, I want to be a writer, but like, get me away from a camera. I want to be behind a desk. I want to be behind a computer writing, like, don't bother me. Because of the feedback. And I'll still talk to everyone. That was still right. feedback at the job. So it was always like, like with the reviews, you're doing great. Your writing's strengthening. Like you do real, I've always been really good with features and long-term. I've always been told I'm really good at taking feedback. I literally, every review, I'm like, tell me like, okay, I hear the good stuff. Tell me where I can do better. And I always apply it. And that's always, I think, part of the reason why people love working with me. But it was always like back in the office days. I haven't worked in an office yeah. in years. But back in the office days, it was like, but you do kind of distract everybody because everybody's around your desk talking to you, right? Everybody wants to like hang out with you, whatever. And it's like, can you like, you know, save it for after hours or whatever? Or like if there was a problem happening at the job where, I don't know, people felt like there was something unfair happening, people always came to me. And then I would be the one that would go to the boss and be like, yo, all the associate editors are burnt out. What are you gonna do about it? And then it would be like, Joe, you're instigating. Stop speaking on behalf of everybody. So it was, it was, it was weird. I didn't like being on camera. Like I- Does that go back to some of the early bullying that you- Totally, seen? totally. Like, and the whole dimming your light. And then also the shame I experienced every time an employer was like, yo, Everybody comes to your, your, your desk to talk. You're so social. How do you know people on the other teams? You're on this team. How do you know people on the other, on the other magazines or the other whatever? And I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm friendly, man. And, and wouldn't that, isn't that a strength? Like they want you to build cross-functional relationships, right? Corporate talk. <laughs> That's the way that you can get favors from other departments, other teams. You can get references for other people. Like that should be a strength. Meanwhile, like here you are being penalized. But I definitely want to get into that corporate stuff too, but like, Early examples of careers growing up, like how the hell did you look at everything and you were like, I want to be a writer? So that that was that was actually kind of funny how that happened, because I grew up in a household with science nerds like my dad's a dentist. My mom used to be a medical technologist. You know, there are a lot of professionals in my family, but it's been like, you know, doctors, teachers, you know, those kind of things. I initially went to college for business. And let's be honest, most people that go to college for business is because you don't know what you want to do, but you know you want to make money. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, and it I just don't- sounds like a really like good, honorable degree or whatever. I was like, I'll do advertising, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like, what was it? God, why am I forgetting the name of the HBO show? Mad Men? Oh, yeah. I uh, feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. advertising was sexy at one point. So I was like, I'll do that. It feels kind of creative. It, it still kind of is, it still kind of is. But for me, it wasn't creative enough. I'm taking the business classes and I'm bored out of my mind. Oh, so you at an early age knew that you wanted to do something creative? No, so I, I always knew I was a writer. So that's like the unique thing. No. I knew oh, since- you were, It's kind of a way to be, to get your voice out, to be talked. You're right so on the that, money, so was elementary school. So was that a safer way for you to be who you 
word? It started with letters because I didn't agree with the discipline, man. Well, you would write letters? To my parents. I did not agree with the, yeah, I didn't agree with the discipline and- You would write letters. I would write them letters because I didn't have the language. Think about it. Think about being in elementary school. I'm just, that's that's kind of like, like, yeah, I, I didn't just imagine like like Yeah, parents. they would get it under their door. No They're way. Their door. <laughs> and then they'd see it the next day. I'm also really lucky because usually my mom would come the next morning crying mm-hmm. that she read the letter and like apologized to me. So I, I never got in trouble for the yeah. letters. It was like this poor this poor kid. So it was my way of addressing the discipline. Like I don't think the punishment matched the offense. That, yo, you know what that, I mean? Like I was just expressing myself and I'm in trouble. So like, you know, I would get angry and <laughs> write these letters and there weren't mean letters. It wasn't like, I hate you. It was like, yo, explain to me like why, like, I don't think this was fair, blah, blah, blah. So it started with letters and then it was poetry. So I started writing poetry probably like third grade. A lot of people know this. They used to like write letters to your parents. I, it's, start, it's starting to get around. Okay, yeah, okay. it's funny because like a lot of my current friends are not childhood friends. Mm-hmm. Those have kind of just like faded out. Yeah, but as I'm getting on podcasts and people are like yeah. asking me about my life, I'm remembering these things, yeah, yeah, right? It, it brings you back to stuff that you probably, yeah, yeah. I also do a lot of spiritual work. So Ooh, inner stuff. child stuff, so things come up. Yeah, yeah. So it started with that. And then by third grade, I was writing poetry. I journaled a lot. Cause that's at, how I used to process my thoughts. At that, at that age? Yeah, man. I always had till till this day the best gift to give me is a journal. Cause I spent yeah. way too much money on notebooks. Oh, I journal on my iPad. I love it. See, I'm like, I know, you're old school. I'm like, so old school. Like yeah, like there's there's certain things I'll you know you know when I'll journal on the phone if I don't want anybody to ever read it because <laughs> I could just delete it. Yeah, cause that that happened too. Mom started reading the diaries. So it was like, oh, wait, so diaries aren't private? But that, that's yeah. also like, I'm seeing the theme of you just being, you know how people are like, oh, old soul, like that's yeah. you. Oh, totally, totally. So like learning to speak very young, you yeah. this, so you had to like grow up fast. You had to be yeah. the example. And what the fuck journals in third grade? And, and writes poetry. Yeah. yeah. I remember it's like totally one of the fun. first poems I wrote too, I submitted it for like, we had to write a poem about like nature in class. This was third or fourth grade. That's ironic being in New York City. Yeah, <laughs> and I, re- I don't know why, like who knows why, but I remember writing, I was so morbid. <laughs> I wrote about clouds. I have to see if my mom still has that. I wrote about clouds. Okay. The poem was about clouds because it was like, you know, like how clouds are beautiful, but they're also like sad and they, they can be dark and cloudy or whatever. I felt like that was me. Like there was a part of me that was really energized, but there was a part of me that was like very morbid because I felt like I wasn't allowed to be myself. And then I'd say by high school, I I totally knew I was a good writer because every teacher said it. Book reports were easy for me. Essays were easy for me. Anything that included writing was easy for me. I hated tests. So it was a combination of like, you really enjoyed it, but you're also getting the validation. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, so this is not just, this is not just an outlet for self-expression. This is also like something I'm kind of good at. Right, right. I also used to draw and paint as a kid. This year, that's something I want to revisit because I was told by more talented people that I sucked. And so I've never done it again. But like my mom was like, you were actually really good. So we'll see, that's 2024. Not, that's not comparison shit though. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Your childhood really impacts who you become, yeah. man. You have to just kind of yeah. address it. No, but also going into the comparison of like, what is deemed good art, for example. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like I'd be drawing sometimes and it's not even to like put it out there, but it's just it's like- For yourself. It's just for me to get out, like the way that I think about it, the way that I, the reason I journal is to like get the energy out of my head and, and just out somewhere, right? So whether that's audio journal, whether that's written journal, whatever it is. I have audio journal too. Me too. I, I think my learned. landlord thinks I'm nuts. So I'm talking <laughs> to myself. <laughs> I actually just started posting my audio journals. I'm doing them like every Friday. Where do you post them? On the podcast. Oh my God, I have to yeah, listen yeah. to that. That's um, so cool. Yeah, I'm so doing And so vulnerable. Because I'm trying to normalize the behaviors that I want to see in the world. Oh, I love that. And also with the app, I want to show people what journaling even sounds like or looks like for people that are be like, my thoughts don't make sense or 
I need someone to make sense of this or like, is this going anywhere? Like, I just want to be like, yeah, sometimes I just sit there and I'll be like, huh, what was I going? Or like, you know what I mean? So I'm trying to help people just think of that. By the time I launch the app, people be a little bit more comfortable with that journey process. I love meeting people like you because it makes me feel like I'm not a weirdo. Oh, yeah. I do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I want to do because I know that people feel weird talking to themselves, doing an audio journal entry. Yeah. So I want to I wanna normalize it. Like, I started doing it, but I never posted it. Just, like, me sitting on my, like, being on my roof and I had a camera, like, way further away. And I would literally just, like, walk in a circle talking to myself. Oh, that's what I do. I'm, like, yeah. pacing in my sala. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck it. All right. So yeah. Oh, my God. You have, please post that. Yeah, yeah, please yeah. post that. That's um, amazing. Yeah. But that's another reason why I launched this podcast, too, because... Oftentimes, like, these are so many conversations that we don't talk about, and we don't talk about it when we feel alone. Yeah. When we feel alone, we feel like we're the problem. Yeah. We feel like yeah. we're crazy. But we're yeah. not crazy, clearly. Like, as super, like, one of the most powerful things I always say is, like, just realizing that you're not alone in a situation. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Anyway, so, not, without, like, naming specifically, like, what company, whatever, but just saying, like, earlier in your career, mm-hmm. like, very early in your career, like, one of your first corporate jobs... What was it like? Like, what, what did you picture of newsroom to be like? I don't know. Like, what was it like? Were you excited, intimidated? So I'm going to do what you just did now, and I'm going to share the things that shame me <laughs> about yeah. the early part of my career, because I'm sure more people could relate to it, especially like POCs. I, I graduated during the recession. So I graduated 09, and because of that, first of all, I didn't feel like well-equipped for the journalism world because I wanted to be like an arts critic. Like I wanted either review art or review music, right? I was, I still am a music head. I, you know, my partner at the time was a musician. And so I used to write, and again, I've always been a little bit of like, not a, not a, not a weirdo, but like I've just, as someone who was bullied when they were younger, like I ain't chilling with the cool kids. So I didn't join the school paper because I thought they were snobby as hell, but I contributed to the school paper like as a freelancer while I was in in college. So I used to contribute to the art section. So I would pitch like, okay, I'm gonna, and I also love rock music. So I used to review a lot of like, you know, shows like live shows and I would use the paper to go for free because even though there were like $20, $30, like when you're in college, $30 yeah. for a concert, you're like, damn, okay, I got to calculate that. <laughs> yeah. So it was like my way to like get my ex and I into like free shows. Then I get to write about it, which was so fun for me. Or I would review like gallery shows or interview artists and stuff like that. That's what I wanted to do. I was like, I'm going to work for like the Village Voice or Art News, like, or Rolling Stone. Like, this is what I'm going to do. What was it about these creatives that you were drawn to? Oh, probably because like, I think I just always, like, it's funny because I didn't consider myself an artist back then because, you know, the visual artists that were in my life and the musicians were like, writers aren't artists. You guys are just writers. So I always identified, which I think is ridiculous, but I always identified as a creative. So I think artists in general, like, I think we need art. Like, I, I need to consume art regularly to feel good, to feel inspired, to feel motivated. Inspired for me. So I'm always listening to music. I'm always looking for new music. I, I don't do it as often, but I used to go to art shows on a very regular basis. You know, I'd go see plays, which I also don't do as much of. But last year, I, I saw more plays than I have in a really long time. And I realized I want to go back to that. 2024. 2024. And, you know, because I was in college and I couldn't afford like Broadway or Madison Square Garden, I wasn't doing big concerts or big shows. I was doing all indie stuff. I feel like I'm a very like indie person. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. And so that was like my thing. And then I had a professor who who actually I learned passed away earlier this year, earlier last year. Let him rest in peace, Michelle Marriott. He was one of my favorite professors, one of my mentors. He was black and he was a tech journalist at the Times. And you know, we used to have these great conversations after hours. We always wound up talking about race, right? That was also, that was something else I always used to talk about. Like, probably since high school. And everybody was always like, you're so into Like, even my Dominican friends were like, it's not that serious. I remember having an argument with a Dominican kid in high school who was significantly darker than me, with, like, much more African features, much curlier hair, 
who, again, to each its own, only dated fair-skinned women, which, again, I don't care. That's your preference. Sure. But it's the comments he would make. Like, he was always like, no, like, it's just a fact that, like, dark skin is bad. Like, curly hair is bad. African features are bad. And I was like, but that's you. And what he was like, you? well, you know, como que? Yeah. Like, unfortunately, this is me or whatever. So I always used to challenge people about that. Right, right. I was fortunate where I had a mom that encouraged that. My mom told me at a really young age, we're black. Like, she didn't say it like that because Dominicans didn't say it like that. And also, you know, my family, you look at my family, we're not the darkest people. Sure. My mom's olive skin. But she was like, nosotros tenemos sangre negro. Like, we're of African descent. So I always understood that, even when my own relatives and peers didn't. Like, you know, I, I, I looked up more to, like, R&B artists like Aaliyah, like I went through a phase where like I thought I looked like Aaliyah and I would like wear my hair like that. You know, I loved Alicia Keys. So I was having these conversations back when people were not comfortable having them. And so I loved this professor because this is what we would talk about. And he eventually introduced me to colleagues of his, friends of his who also eventually mentored me that like were journalists that wrote about race. They were like black journalists that wrote about race. And he was like, I don't know, like, and, you know, for a while, I was like, did he limit me? But, like, I I think I would tell him every year before he died, like, I would randomly text him or DM him and be like, thank you so much for encouraging me to take a different route. He was like, it's not that I can't see you in music or art. It's that right now it's still very white. And it's such a small space that I worry you're not going to get the opportunities. And he was like, you're so passionate about your culture, about race, about being Latina, about social issues. I think you should go into women's lifestyle. And I remember I was like, what? Wasn't he trying to like find that intersection of all of those things for And that's, that's what I didn't initially understand. I was like, you want me? And in college, I was a rebel. I was like done with the magazines. I was like, they're crap. Like, Why? I just felt like they did not portray women in our in our like completeness like how to lose like that movie how to lose a guy in 10 days like that's how magazines were right it was like so like you see the thing in childhood too right it's kind of like the magazines were also reflected the magazines were telling me the same my family was telling me like but worse because the magazines were telling me like you you got to be like white and pretty and skinny and straight hair because nobody like me looked no one looked like me in the magazines and it was like shoes and bags and all this. And like, I didn't really, I always cared about fashion, but like, again, I was like an indie kid. I was wearing like Vans and Converse. Like I didn't, I never cared, still don't care about the shoes and the bags, right? Every, most of my bags are vintage yeah. or they're my mom's from yeah. like the nineties. So I was like, I'm not, this is like not doing it for me. And he was like, no, but like make the difference, right? Like he put this huge challenge on me. so. So you did end up going into women's lifestyle. I did with a whole bunch of freaking random ass internships under my belt with like tiny, teeny art, local art magazines and like music magazines that, by the way, none of them exist anymore because they were like created by like people in their 20s. It was like really indie. That was like my thing. Right. I didn't care about money. So then I graduate during the recession. I don't know what to do. I take like an editorial assistant at my college's publishing department and I was bored out of my mind just interviewing faculty, right? That's what I was writing, like for the website. I, I went to Baruch, sure. bored out of my mind. And then when I lost the job, like it was my first time being laid off. So I had like a little bit of a crisis. Like I had such a crisis. I remember I like called up a cousin and we went out and I just like got drunk. And I was like, I've been there. I'm moving to Europe. I'm going to have like <laughs> an eat, pray, love. New York's not for me. And my mom was like, muchacha, get it together. <laughs> like, just explore the internships. Mm-hmm. So I think the first women's lifestyle internship I did was at Self Magazine. Okay. And I got in through the beauty department because I knew someone who was an assistant there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I am into like beauty. Like, you know, I like looking pretty. Let, let's mm-hmm. figure that out. And that's where I was like, wait a minute. Y'all don't write, like, they were, you were finally starting to see some coverage Mm -hmm. for black women, depending on the magazine and who was in leadership, right? At the time when I was at South, everybody was white. Mm -hmm. I think there were black women in fashion, but not in the beauty department. 
So it still was very white. The content was still very white. And the opportunity I got was the assistant and her sister who was an intern there, they were Indian and around my coloring. So they really cared about like diversity and stuff like that. And I got to write for Self's blog online. That was before the dot-com became its own thing. And it wasn't just like scanning the magazine until the dot-com, you remember that? Right, Where like yeah, magazines yeah. online was just yeah. like, yo, did you just scan this? PDF, um, yeah. yeah, like a PDF. So I would write for the blog. And I remember like my first story was like, oh, I want to interview Latina bloggers. Cause I, like, those are my beauty. And it's so funny because one of them is like my best friend, Cindy Diaz, shout out. Hey. Yeah, she's one of my closest friends. And, and you identified that, that gap? Like you noticed it in sort of like- Kind of like quit, like, like just, it was like one of the first things I noticed being there. It was like, oh, like we're one of the few people at this magazine with melanin and we're just interns. Right. You know what I mean? And like the content's not resonating with me but the makeup and the products for me are here, right? So let me test it out. So I would write things in the blog or whatever. And that's when I was like, okay, I think this is how I'm gonna do it. I think I'm gonna write stories for Latinas, for women of color, and I'm gonna start with beauty. So I did a lot of stuff. I couldn't write about Belo Malo yet. So I did a lot of stories around like curly hair and embracing your texture. And I got my first curl cut. And that's kind of how I started, was so through the, the beauty avenue. How do you think like, you identified a gap, brought it up to someone and said, hey, there's something missing here. I think we should do X, Y, and Z. I don't, I don't know what to call it, the, the ambition, the assertiveness, like, I don't know what to call it. It's all positive things, but you went out there and said, like, how do you think you were received? I don't want to sound too woo-woo, but like, I'm learning as I get older that those are I think that when you allow yourself to tap into your magic, th those are, that's when your genius comes out. And I think that like, I was open, you know, I'm in this big magazine within Condé Nast. I'm like, to me, that was like such an honor to even be there. Like so I saw, you know what I mean? I saw, you know, the Devil Wears Prada, like, you know, also I have a really supportive family that the second I said I was gonna be a journalist, they were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So I'm doing this internship, like not getting paid and you know, my parents are supporting it. Um, and so like, I think I went in there where I was like, which I think it has been my approach to every single job, assistant, internship, writer, editor, now director, is I have to go in there with a mission. Every right? time you step in, you're like- Yeah, I have to go in there with, with a mission even when I've still been trying to figure out what the mission is, I've always known I want to tell stories that reflect people that look like me. That's always been my thing, right? Because like even with TV, I remember being like, the only time I ever heard anybody even say the word Dominican is if it was a baseball player. So whenever I was in white spaces, like as a kid, because we moved around Queens, it was like, what's Dominican? Yeah. Is it like Puerto Rican yeah. or Mexican? And I was like, why don't people know about us? We're all over New York. Yeah. So for me, it was like, yo, we exist and I, our stories need to be told. But for me, it was beyond Dominican. It was like Latinos, people of color. Latinos, very particular for me. And so I went in with the mission. I just remember at Self Magazine, I was like, I don't know if I necessarily want to work here. I don't know if I necessarily want to be like a beauty editor, I just know that when I leave, I wanna feel like I made a teeny tiny bit of a, of a difference when it comes to representation. How do you, and not necessarily at self, but like just early on in your career, right? Yeah. Broad trope, like how do you think that ambition, that mission for you was received? You know, in white spaces, but I think by those years, it was like, yeah, no, like magazines were at least pretending to care about diversity. So yeah. it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. You're writing for the blog, like whatever. Yeah. So I didn't get like too much push about like what I was trying to do. It was more like a lot of push on the specifics of the story, right? Like it still had to be light and you know, beauty and like, it couldn't be deep, right? I couldn't like explore deep things. I think interning at Latina Magazine is when my light bulb went on. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, I can be myself. 
Because I, I was code switching. Like, even though I was, you know, writing, you know, the stories and, you know, I had my mission, I was still cold switching. Why, why were you cold switching? Because I was taught that professionalism is whiteness, right? So I, like, damaged this beautiful hair, right? Because I was, like, going to the Dominican salon every week. And that was stressful, too, because it was like I was going Saturdays and then you're asking me to shoot a video or go to an event on Thursday. And by then, this hair is back in a bun. So now I'm, like going to dry bar and like, you know, you know what I mean? Like now I'm spending money to look the way that you want me to look. And this is not even naturally how my hair grows out of my scalp. So it's not even people at work telling you you have to look a certain way. It's just like what you've been taught to believe that you should do. That's kind of like what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And also just looking around at you, you don't want to stand out too much. You, my whole life I was told I talk too much. I'm, I'm too loud. I'm all these things. Now I'm in a white space and it's like, like, I would catch myself when I would get deep and people would be like, okay, I'm going back to my, my desk or whatever. Nobody wanted to get deep. It was like, so what'd you do this weekend? And then I'd share like, oh, you know, I was, I was with my cousins or whatever. And it was, okay, I'm going back to my desk or yeah. whatever. You know, I was at the Hamptons or I was at this party downtown or whatever. So it was like, okay, you can't be yourself here, I you know? Like, I never, like, I always faked enthusiasm when people were talking about their weekends but i never received that same amount of like fake excitement people would just be like oh okay cool and i'm just like like they would never ask me like oh how was it oh my god like tell me more oh my god send me the location i'm never gonna go but like send it anyway oh my god the brunch spot blah 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 yo like, that I would shit think it's is so, so hard. real i would think it's so hard and i just i wish white people would fake it just as much as i did sometimes. oh my god i do just, too just because think, know what it feels like. i don't think people i don't think people realize how much stress comes with code switching. Yeah. Like, I look back, like, I struggle with anxiety. It's gotten a lot better being my authentic self. Me too. But I look back, and I've had stomach issues since college, and I really think it's it's like that inner pressure to suppress mm -hmm. certain part, parts of yourself to please other people, mm -hmm. even down to the way I was, like, dressing at work. You know, like you're wearing the little pencil skirts or whatever. I think eventually with the internships, I noticed, okay, like all these white girls are coming in here with like leggings. So I was like, I could come in normal clothes or whatever. But even with that, like I didn't want to, my hair was straight. My nails were short. I wasn't wearing red lipstick. I wasn't wearing hoop earrings. Like I was still trying, I wasn't wearing sneakers, even though sometimes the white girls were wearing sneakers. I had like shoes or booties or whatever. Cause I was like, I don't want people to treat me like I'm less than, you know? And it, it wasn't- I gotta a, see that picture as well. Besides the unibrow, I gotta see the- Oh, I could probably find them on Facebook. The first yeah, the Facebook yeah. albums, yeah. But it wasn't until I interned at Latina Magazine and I'm still mad cool with people that I worked with back then, yeah. that I was like, oh, I can, like, I don't gotta cold switch here. I can talk the way that I talk. I can dress the way that I dress. I can come to work with my curly hair. I could wear hoop earrings. I could just keep it 100. I could talk about my family and people don't think I'm weird and pathetic for chilling with my family. Did you see someone that did that? Because I I, I don't think that, because I think that whole professionalism thing isn't just for white people, like. It's not, it's even, not, but that's where it, that's at the root, that's where it originates from. Oh, no, you yeah, know? yeah, I'm yeah. saying like, if even if I go to like, when you be shown, for example. Yeah, right? that's a different kind of code switching. Like. <laughs> They are, everybody's still cold. Yeah. Everyone is still not wearing the hoops, not wearing mm -hmm. the blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. So it's interesting that you, though, when you went to Latina Magazine, you felt like, what was it that made you feel so comfortable to start being yourself? I mean, when I wasn't at Univision, I was at Latina. So it was a whole bunch of like New York Latinos. Yeah. And Univision um, was just like a placeholder. Yeah. A yeah. But shout out to my homegirl and my mentor, Mariela Rosario. I remember walking into into the office space and seeing someone that looked like me, that like close to like right. brown like me, right. curly hair like me. I was like, oh, is she Dominican? And she was one of my bosses. Mm -hmm. And from day one, I remember she like called me mamita. And she was like, <laughs> okay, mama, you want to get like, she literally t talked to me like I was like her cousin, right. like I was like her homegirl. And I was like, this feels so healthy. And like all the things That's that like this feels so healthy. healthy, all the things that I felt in the workspace, in, in school, even to a certain extent with my family, like I shared earlier, was now acceptable at work. 
right? So I get these really weird moments where an idea comes and like it just comes to me. I again, I'm very spiritual. I think they're like God moments where God's like God's like using me as a vessel to put something out there and the idea would just come and that's like kind of how I work. Like I love brainstorms, but I kind of like to come with nothing. Like I you know, I have to come with something, but I kind of like to come with nothing because the dialogue is what you could say one thing and I'm like, oh, wait, we should do this. Like I came up with the whole package idea slacking with my boss last month. She was like, what's your idea for this? And I like for can't say it on here, but it was like, what's your idea for like this year's Latino Heritage Month? And I was like, I don't know. That's in September. Like I'm not ready. And she was like, well, we got to we got to, you know, at least have it down in the document. And just from slacking, I was like wait a minute, I think we should do this. And then I find out my content lead really liked it. So I have a lot of those moments. So when I was interning at Latina, I used to go to Mariello. I was like, I got this idea. I think we should write about this on the dot com. Do it, do it. It's yours or whatever. I never- She also gave you that level of autonomy and trust. Totally. She totally treated me like a staff writer. And then it was was from that point on where I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm telling stories for my community. I guess I'm gonna start in Latin media because I don't see where else I can go. And then it just kind of evolved from that. So I've also been kind of sheltered in the sense that like most of my professional experience has been working with Latina women. Mm-hmm. The, I, I, found, I find that as a common theme on the show as far as like when people start being their most authentic self is they either hit some sort of low point Mm. where they fake it for so long that it eventually has an impact on their health, right? Mental, physical, all of that. Or sometimes they just like finally see the representation that they've been looking for their whole lives. And be like, you like that mamita, she's like, oh, come here, mamita. And you're yeah. like, you talk, you're talking to me? <laughs> you're like, and she looks a certain way yeah. and she's talking a certain way, she's dressing a certain way. You're like, it almost like gives you permission to like start doing some of those things, right? For you, like, what was the first thing that you started displaying in your in your authenticity, right? Because I think it comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think, like, from one day to the next, you drop your whole look and then you're completely different. Like, for some people, it's like, all right, I'm finally going to let my nails grow. Oh, maybe I'm just going to start with the hair. Maybe it's going to start with the sneakers. Like, maybe it's going to start on the way that I talk. I don't know. Like, what was it for you that you were like, I'm going to start with this, see how people react? Oh, you're cool? All right, I'm going to continue building to who I am now. It was definitely for me very gradual. Yeah. What's up? What's up? I think they're turning the feedback oh. back on. Oh. Yeah. oh wow. Yeah, I think I think it was gradual for everybody. I think it was very gradual. I think it started with embracing a lot of my personality, not so all of it. Now. I I didn't start embracing, you know, without mentioning the company name. I didn't start embracing my full, like complete self at work until this current job. And I don't work with Latinos. It's just, this is where I'm at in my life. But I think it was gradual with like embracing like a lot of my personality and who I am. Definitely not hiding like my Dominicanness or my New Yorkness. Then I think it went into the way I was dressing at work. And like, I I was totally that shit coming in with crop tops by like year three. Yeah, yeah, and sneakers and what, like by year three, nobody told me nothing. Because I saw other people do it. Like, I wouldn't be, I wasn't the first one. I saw other people doing it. And I was like, okay, like, that's how I dress on the weekends, all right? It was never, I'm not a crop top, like, sexy. Like, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, like, I don't look like I'm going to the club. Like, I'm wearing a crop top now, but I'm wearing baggy jeans. So it was always balanced. Yeah. What, what, uh, did you have a lot of stories in your head going into that day? Like, you're getting dressed. I just imagine you're just like, what are people, you know what I mean? I don't remember. But I know the beauty thing took longer because I started like in beauty and fashion, even though I was like working in Latin media, I started in beauty and fashion. So once they started asking me to go to video, to do videos and uh, to have my picture taken for stories or to attend events, I still was not seeing even the Latinas at the events wearing their hair curly. So that took me longer. And also, like, again, I grew up in a culture that said this was bad and, like, unattractive. And I'm 
you know, I'm supposed to represent the brand as a beauty fashion person. I have to look pretty right. all the time. So I didn't think this was that. Right, right. So this took a lot longer. And then also this takes a lot of time yeah. in terms of not, it don't take a lot of time now. This yeah. took no time. Yeah. It takes a lot of time when you're growing it out. Mm -hmm. So I went back and like, I'd be like, okay, I'm wearing my hair curly. And then I couldn't stand how damaged it looked. So I'd go back to the Dominican salon yeah, yeah. or whatever. I wrote a lot of stories about the Dominican salon experience though, which I, I thought was really cool because I felt like once the curly hair movement started being more embraced with Latinas, which, you know, I was, and still I'm a huge advocate for, I think that there were certain, now we're finding them, right? Like my friend Carolina has Miss Rizos in DR and also in the Heights. Now we're finding curly hair salons that are for black and Latina women. But back then we had what, like Devashan or whatever. So I was missing the Dominican salon experience. So like experience of, of walking into a salon and even if you don't know everybody, like you feel like you're at a Dominican family party and there's the pastelito lady and you know like everybody everybody feels like they're related to you you know and you're not being judged because you're here every saturday getting your hair done we're all here for the same reason right. whereas in the curly salon i remember feeling like i feel like i'm at john frieda like i don't like this is so bougie and expensive and there's no community or whatever so there was a period where i was writing a lot about the dominican hair salon experience and like what that means for us as women and, and as a culture. But yeah, I think it was all just like a very gradual process. I, if you can believe it, I was terrified of the camera for a very long time. I like, I used to resent, now I, I thank them for it, but I used to resent everyone on the video team, every boss that pushed me to be on camera. I like, I didn't even wanna like go to work those days. Yeah. I would like be commuting with like anxiety I would freeze, right? Like it was just like, like it felt like stage fright. Like did, I just hated it. When did you get the confidence? I got the confidence when I started being my authentic self in all spaces. I think a lot of the fright with the camera was I, I could have never been an actress. I don't like acting. <laughs> I don't like not being myself. So yeah. you're telling me to not be myself in front of a right. camera. I don't even know how to do that. Because so early on when they tried to put you on camera, it was like you had things that they wanted you to say. Yeah, right? there was always a script. Right, exactly. There was always a script exactly. and it was always like, talk a certain way, be perkier, make your voice sound like, I'm like, but that's oh, like, not. you can get those comments? Yeah, like, you know, make your sound, be, smile a lot. Like all this shit that like, I don't actually do. Like I'm not, you know, like I'm not, right. That that's not how I talk. Like I'm right. a very like intense person. Right. So yeah, I'm gonna start. Uh, there's a couple of people that are um, like on the, like news anchors mm -hmm. that, that are Latino Latina, um, and that's gonna be an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Voice, yeah, and then they have, and I'm just like, why do you have to do that? Because I've had conversations with um, this anchor. She's in like Arizona or something, but she would get people would write into the station and mm -hmm. tell her why is she dressed like she's going to the club. Oh, that's so rude. Or they would be like, can she, like, like the way that she talks is like, I can't understand all the sort mm -hmm. of that you would get early on. Yeah. And it had a real impact on her to the point now where, like, her anger voice is now her, her actual voice. That I love that. No, unfortunately, like, her anger voice oh. is her, like... Oh, I thought you were going to... Like, she dropped her, like... I thought you meant her real voice is her anchor voice. You're saying, like, she talks like an anchor all the time? I'm Unfortunately, yes. Damn. Because of that pressure yeah. and all that stuff. So obviously there's like a gradual, you know, build up. And you said like this current job is what really got you to be like, fuck it, I'm gonna let it all like this is who I am. Like what was it now? It was the pandemic, not to sound cliche. No, but a lot of, a lot of people have said that. You know, I feel like the pandemic really forced us to take a look at ourselves and like reflect on life before the pandemic and what we want to change about ourselves. And I feel like that period for me, I lost a lot of things. I lost my job, I lost my financial stability. I lost my apartment. I was back with my folks for a year. And you know, you have no choice but to, to really look within. I was doing a lot of spiritual work, a lot of therapy and stuff. 
And one of the things that kept coming up is like, just be yourself. So I, in being myself, I landed a lot of bylines and freelance stories. And how, how did that come up with this idea of just being yourself? Cause I was like, I'm just gonna write about, I mean, my previous job, I will mention my previous job cause I think that's okay. I was a deputy editor at Hip Latina, which was H Code Media at the time. I think it's called My Code Media now. And Mariela Rosario, who I mentioned, mentioned was the editor in chief. She had hired, I think before this job, every job I've had, she's hired me. Yeah, so she's like always been my boss. It was great. But Hip Latino was the first place where, I think also because it was initially independently owned, it was the first job where I was able to write about whatever I wanted. So I, I wrote about colorism. I wrote about white supremacy within Latino culture. I wrote about, um, you know, uh, Afro-Latinidad. I wrote about all the shit that previous Latino media sites still didn't allow me to write about. And we went, like, we went in with it, her why, and I. Why couldn't you write about it? So that's, a, that's the other thing, too, that I wish more people in the community understood. Because I know, like, for instance, I've had people in academia that have told me, like, that's cool what you're doing, but, like, th this is old. You know what I mean? Like, we've been, and I'm like, God bless you. Y'all you, have been in spaces where you can talk about these things for much longer than it's been allowed. You got to understand that most media companies even if it's a Latino, unless it's Latino owned, most media companies, if there's a Latino vertical or yeah. subsite or whatever, they're still owned by white men. I, I get it. Yeah. So, and you know, also brands are a lot more open now. Back in the day, brands did not want to advertise around content like that. So things have definitely changed. Things. Um, but we were writing about that nobody was really able to write about until 2020 because of Black Lives Matter. So I think that kind of gave me the strength to be unapologetic. And in all my pitches, I was like, I want to write about this. I, I want to write about this. I want to write about how my, my community is being affected by COVID and mental health and all this stuff. So I think by that point, I was like, wherever I wind up next, this is who I am to the point where I was like, if they don't want me for me and what I want to create there, I don't want the job. I love that. I had a friend uh, who said when he finally started embracing himself, during the interview process, they were like, gave him an offer. He was like, before I accept this offer, here's my Twitter handle. Look through my tweets so you know who I really am. Mm, that is so smart. That's so funny. Yeah. They were like, that is so I smart. Be, I, he was like, Yo, I be saying a lot of black mm -hmm. A lot of like know where I stand so mm -hmm. that when I when this shit goes viral, y'all don't be coming at me. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I respect that. Man, I want to meet that person. Yeah, Walter Gear. Yeah, he's really, really dope. He's That's like amazing. Big ad guy. Um, okay, so to close off, like mm -hmm. obviously, we're not done growing, we're all still working on ourselves. Like, yep, what's the one thing that continues to inspire you to be your most authentic self despite all these things? You've I think that. Every time I'm my most authentic self, it's funny because sometimes I, I go home with like goosebumps because it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't have to be a professional space. Like it could be I'm out for dinner with friends and I meet new people or, you know, it, it, it could be like I'm friends I told you I'm friends with the, the, my cleaner. You know, I'm cool with the Dominicans that own the floral shop around the corner from me. Like every time I'm my authentic self, I, I attract my people. I attract my people. I feel like, you know, like it's, it's almost like, again, not to sound woo woo, but it's almost like the universe is rewarding me for being myself. I always feel that way. Yeah. Or I have been feeling that way for yeah. like the past two or so years. Yeah. I love that. I think people are so scared to be themselves because of the people that they're gonna lose. Yeah. Like things or opportunities. You're meant to lose them. Exactly. You're meant to lose. And I, I still have my moments, you know, cause this shit is deep. This goes back to childhood. I still have my moments where my mom would be like, can you take down that post? Like, I can't tell you how many times my mom has told me to take down a post. Shout out to mom to take down a post on Instagram because it's too personal. 
it's either too personal and people are gonna judge me or it's too personal y la gente me van a mandar mal de ojo. And I'm always like, when are you gonna understand my brand? <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, every time I do that, I kind of go into like my childhood self and the shame comes and I'm like, I share too much. I'm too vulnerable. This is a weakness. This is, you know what I mean? Like, cause my family's not like that. And then I'll get like, like 50 DMs from men and women that are like, yo, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm struggling with the same or whatever. Sometimes it actually inspires me to write about it in content. Like it, it never fails. And again, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this from my Instagram. I could be so much better at social media. We totally like exchange notes, but I never post just to post. Like maybe in stories I'm posting like my playlists and stuff like that or reposting, but on, on feed, I never post just to post. Like I always have, if anything, I'm trying to find a photo to accompany it. That's why it's just my face or a headshot or whatever. But it's usually a message I want to put out. And I always feel in my heart, this is meant for me to put it out. And, and again, the universe always rewards me because I always get the feedback. This is what I needed. Mi gente, that wraps up another episode of the Quintuera's podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard this week, please do us a favor like share comment wherever you're listening to this episode there should be an option to leave a rating and a review please do so because it's going to help us in the algorithms to ensure that as many people as possible listen to these episodes because let's be real that is the only way that we are going to redefine professionalism